You're listening to Public Health Matters, a new podcast brought to you by the Institute of Public Health. My name is Marisa Fagan and I'll be your host for this podcast, highlighting key public health issues across Ireland and Northern Ireland. Over the coming weeks, we'll be speaking to experts about the big public health issues of the day and what lessons we can learn from past challenges. So stay tuned to stay informed about public health matters and what matters now. Today, we're delighted to have Professor Pat Goodman from the Technological University in Dublin. He's an expert in environmental and medical physics, and he joins us today to talk about new solid fuel regulations that are taking effect in Ireland and how they fit into the bigger picture of air pollution, climate change and our health. So welcome to the podcast, Pat. Uh, We're delighted you can join us. Well, thank you for inviting me and hopefully we can enlighten your listeners uh, on the topic. So the regulations, Pat, they came into effect at the end of October. So essentially they are restricting the commercial sale of smoky fuels such as coal, turf and wet wood. And they're setting new emission standards for approved fuels. But it's fair to say, I think, that, you know, the regulations have come at a difficult time. I mean, we're facing a climate crisis, an energy crisis, a cost of living crisis. But you might give us a sense of what, the regulations are hoping to achieve and and why we need them now? Well, research over many, many years has shown that where air quality levels are poor, more people die and more people get ill. So that's a heavy drain and cost to our health service and people are dying prematurely. And there's a frequently quoted figure of 1,300 premature deaths in Ireland every year due to poor air quality. Some work that we've been working on at the moment, which is not published, would suggest that number is actually higher. So we're looking, let's say we're talking at least 1,300 premature deaths a year. So that's a challenge for us. And we can do something about it. We can improve air quality. And the big issue with poor air quality over many years has been, we hear people talking about transport, and that's true. But the bigger issue has been domestic heating. And in Ireland, domestic heating with people burning stuff in fires and grates and stoves has been by far the biggest contributor to poor air quality. So yes, we're now facing into an energy crisis, but maybe it's an opportunity as well, because we've been hearing for the last 10 to 15 years that we should be making our homes more energy efficient. Well, if the cost of energy is going up, it makes a lot more sense to make your house more energy efficient, so you don't need so much energy. So it's an opportunity, if government is willing, and to put enough resources to allow people move away from solid fuels and fossil fuels to more renewable types of energy. Just on that point of tr- transition, um, I suppose most people are probably familiar with that term, just transition. It's about transitioning away from fossil fuels to clean carbon neutral fuel. How long will that take in reality? I mean, it's a big change, I guess. It is a big change. It's something we should have started doing a long time ago. And there has been some moves along that route. Uh, But I think we now need to really up the pace. But it's an opportunity because the cost of energy has got so dear, it makes it a lot more cost effective to bring in these retrofitting. um, Like we have good regulations for all new properties coming on the market. So we should 
So now's our chance to try and retrofit existing properties. I do appreciate fully that it will take time and there will be particularly some elderly people and people who don't have their own finances maybe to retrofit themselves. And as a society, we're going to have to look after them. Um, so they're the challenges. But if we can get them to move away from the dirty, the coals, the, the wet wood, um, any little bit we can make improvement on in that area, that will help greatly. And on an energy efficiency perspective, you know, simply making sure you've got good attic insulation, that would make a huge improvement and can be done very cheaply to most houses. And then maybe your next phase is if your windows are very poor or your doors, they can be done. And they're not at the top end of the budget type things. They're affordable with appropriate supports in place. Now, if you want to get houses up to the low A and high B energy categories, that may cost a lot of money. But we can do a lot of low hanging fruit and make a significant improvement without too much investment. Okay, and just coming back to the, you know, that figure that you mentioned, 1,300 premature deaths in Ireland every year. Well, when we add the road traffic and the domestic heating, yes. So is it possible to gauge what impact these new regulations are going to have in terms of improving um, people's health or, you know, reducing mortality rate? Yeah, we actually know the answer to that very well because we've had a succession of these interventions here in Ireland, starting back in 1990 in Dublin, where we banned smoky coal. Uh, and then it was extended to Cork in 1995 and a series of other towns in 1998 and others during the 2000s. So we have studied those with colleagues from Harvard and everywhere where a ban on the dirty smoky coals was brought in, we saw at least a 50% improvement or in air quality or that the pollution levels fell by 50%. Uh, however, we also saw a significant reduction in mortality, so less people were dying, and we also observed less people being hospitalised. Um, so in Cork, when the ban came in there, there was less admissions to hospital for respiratory and cardiovascular disease following the ban. In Dublin, some similar things with mortality. At the time, the hospital admission data for Dublin in 1990 wasn't very reliable. So we weren't able to make a, a proper estimate on that. But we saw a significant drop in mortality with, with that. And then when the ban was extended to other towns and cities around the country, again, we saw reductions in hospital admissions and mortality. So, I mean, there, there it does sound like it, it, it had... It it shows there is the evidence is there that it did make a difference and we can expect something similar with these new regulations. Oh, definitely. And like there is things in the literature looking around the world where various interventions have happened to improve air quality um, in German reunification. And there was a dramatic improvement in the health of children, respiratory health in the former East Germany because the air quality improved dramatically. Um, there was some studies during the Beijing Olympics where they switched off the pollution for a while um, so that people could actually watch and take part in the Olympics. There were some health benefits around that. Um, there's congestion charging in London. 
stopping vehicles going into the city centre. That's been shown to have a, a small but measurable uh, improvement in health associated with it. Um, and there was a very nice study in America, in Utah Valley, where there was a steel mill, which was the main pollution source. And it's in a valley, the pollution was all trapped. And the mill went on strike. And the children's admissions to hospital dropped by about 50%. And then when the strike was over, the admissions to children in the hospital for respiratory disease went back up to where it had been. So it switched off when the mill was closed and switched back on again when the mill went back to normal working. So internationally, there's quite a lot of evidence there. If you can reduce pollution, less people will get sick and less people will die. But it also sounds, because some of those um, initiatives or some of those interventions that you mentioned there, like we haven't we, we haven't necessarily done them or followed followed suit. I mean, from a public health perspective, these new regulations are a welcome step. But like, do you think we need to go further if we're going to tackle air pollution? Um, and I know we haven't really got into the climate change bit yet, and we'll get to yeah. that. But Well, the, there is a linkage between the two. So... Um... That's important to remember. I suppose the way I would look at it is we should all try and reduce our pollution levels. And we talk about car transport. Well, there's been dramatic improvements in engine technology over the last 40 years so that there may be more cars on the road, but each car is emitting less pollutants than it did. Not saying it's good. I think we need to move away towards the electric vehicles now. And we're going that way, but maybe not as quickly as we should be. Personally, I feel we missed opportunities with public transport where we maybe could have put in metro systems during the recession um, and we'd be reaping the benefits now. We probably could have done a lot more extensive Lewis-type systems, which are electric, um, because they've all proved very successful and they've been well used. In fact, they're nearly too busy at times. So I do feel a pity we didn't do that at the time. So going forward... I think we need to electrify our public transport fleet a lot more and more quickly. Um, the private fleet as well. Interestingly, because of the energy crisis, there have been a few nice initiatives at reducing public transport costs to the consumer. So if costs come down, more people will use them. And there certainly has been evidence, I think, from Germany, where that was very successful, where they had a huge drop in the price of rail tickets and the amount of usage went up dramatically. Just to bring us back to maybe, I suppose, air pollution and climate change and the links. I mean, figures from the World Health Organization suggest that around 7 million global deaths every year are linked to air pollution and to serious disease such as heart disease, lung disease and stroke. Can you maybe explain to our listeners how, how air pollution impacts our health and how it's linked to serious and chronic diseases that I've mentioned? Okay, when we're talking about air pollution, we frequently hear people talking about things like PM 2.5 or PM 10. And these are really fine particles in the air that we cannot see with the naked eye. And I sometimes, maybe it's not appropriate, but the example I gave is when somebody smokes a cigarette, they get some feeling of a high from it. And to me, there's an example where there's something getting into your bloodstream very rapidly. Well, the same thing is if you're breathing air in, these really, really fine particles can get right down into the alveolar sacs in the lung and then can transmit into the bloodstream. 
And then when they get into the bloodstream, they can interact with the blood vessels and the blood itself causing it to coagulate and thicken up. And prolonged exposure like that can lead to strokes and heart disease. And the other side of it is just the sheer loading when it's going in and out of the lungs can affect the lungs as well. But we we actually find with air pollution, and if you have a spike in air pollution, we see a cardiovascular response first. And if the pollution is prolonged for a week or two weeks, that the respiratory responses start coming in and getting sicker. So the respiratory thing seems to take a bit longer to affect people, but the cardiovascular effect seems to be quite quick. So quite quick. So you're talking about, like, did you say a week? Um, well, no, if we get a spike in pollution, we may see a spike in people in, uh, being hospitalized with heart attacks within 24 to 48 hours. But if you've got prolonged exposure of a week to two weeks, then we see the respiratory people coming in. But if people already have an existing condition, uh, then the pollution exasperates that. And this particulate matter or PM, as it's often referred to, you know, this is what's coming from the burning of solid fuels. It, it, like yes. there's other sources as well, but it's it's one of the sources. Every time we burn something, we get these particles given off. Um, well, so, primarily solid fuels. Gas isn't quite isn't as bad in that uh, respect, but oil, coal, turf. Anything that we're burning, whether it's combustion, you're going to get these particles. It could be coming from factories, whatever as well. The, the, yeah, there's like industrial and there's domestic yeah. sources. And yeah. Yeah. I understand that there is no safe level of particulate matter. Is that right? You know, that's what well, the, the research suggests. says there is no safe level. So keep the dose as low as we can. We can never get to zero. Um because there are natural sources anyway um, of PM as well. Uh, and then you see things like these forest fires, they're producing loads of particulate matter that are not good for you. Same thing, doesn't matter whether it's somebody burning it in a fireplace or whether it's a naturally occurring forest fire where we've had maybe dry weather, lightning strike causes the fire. That's affecting anybody who's inhaling that. Can you maybe explain the link for, for the benefit of our listeners? The link okay, between well, air pollution and climate change. Every time we combust something, so that's burning coal, wood, oil, be it in a car, in a burner, whatever it might be, we're emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which is a greenhouse gas. And we're also producing these particles at the same time. And these particles are going to affect primarily the local area where they're being emitted. Now, unfortunately, you know, you've no choice but to breathe the air where you're living or where you happen to be at any given time. So if the air is really, really bad, you've no choice but to breathe that air. You know, if water is poor, you can go and buy nice, clean bottled water and you can drink that. We cannot do that with the air. So therefore, it's nice to have a clean environment where we live. So if we're burning be it in a motor vehicle or industry or in our home heating, anything that we're burning is going to be producing these particles affecting our air quality. But we're also emitting these greenhouse gases, which are contributing to climate change. And 
I was fortunate to be involved in a report that came out about two years ago from European Academy of Sciences. And the recommendation there was to protect human health. The best thing we can do in Europe, which would have the most immediate effect, both from a climate change and an immediate human health effect, is to reduce air pollution. Because by reducing air pollution, we're producing less PM, but we're also producing less CO2. So if we could switch from the fossil fuels to renewables as a matter of urgency, we'd be having a double benefit of protecting health very much immediately from the pollutant aspect. And we would also be helping to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a very much a win-win situation there. And I mean, there is also evidence of some inequalities, I suppose, in the air that we breathe. I mean, some population groups are more vulnerable than others to particular matter and air pollution. Is that right? Well, unfortunately, in a lot of the more socially deprived parts of the country, people don't necessarily have the access to gas, which would be a cleaner fuel. Um, the quality of the housing stock may not be as energy efficient. Um, oil, which would be a bit cleaner than using coal and wood and turf, is very expensive because it has to be purchased generally in expensive quantities. Um, so, yeah, the poorest people in society are probably the ones who are most impacted because they don't have the wherewithal to take these measures on their own. Um, so that's why, as I said maybe earlier on, it's a cha challenge to us in society to ensure that the less well-off are given the opportunity to become more energy efficient with help with their housing stock, with the quality of housing. And we should be focusing and trying to help them. While I'm saying yes, I welcome the whole new legislation that's come in. I think it's long, long overdue. But I have caveats that, yes, we want to improve air quality, but we shouldn't be doing that at the expense of individuals. We don't want people having fuel poverty and going cold and going hungry because of the fear of fuel costs. I was going to ask you that because, you know, be, you know, throughout this transition, which is going to take quite a while, I think, to get to where we want to be, um, there will be a need for balance because we will want to protect the most deprived from fuel poverty, but also protect the most vulnerable from air pollution. I think, now I'm, I'm not saying I have all the answers here in a magic bullet, but we've seen it this year where the government have shown themselves capable of providing funding towards electricity costs. And I think they're talking about giving each household 600 euros in a number of installments. We know as well that the more socially deprived people are on fuel allowances and old age pensions. So going forward, if we get over the initial fuel crisis, we could incentivize maybe fuel payments towards the cleaner fuels for these people. So rather than giving them money to buy coal, maybe we could give them money to use electricity instead to heat their house. So it's cleaner. Okay. I'm not saying it's the cheapest or cheapest way to do it but we could incentivize them to use cleaner things to keep warm so it's it's a it's a matter of kind of reframing how we respond to this and how we you know how we the incentives that we come up with or the interventions that we come up yeah with. well I, I think it's there's an opportunity to be inventive uh, or original in our approaches here 
you know, start with a blank canvas. So if we have an issue with potential fuel poverty and potentially people who are more socially deprived, how do we help them in the best way that's good for the environment and good for these people as well? As opposed to, like at the moment, people get a fuel allowance. I think it's based on their means and that's fine. But whether it gets used on heating the house, whether it gets goes into the, just their general budget and doesn't get used on heating the house, or whether it's using dirty fuels, there's no, there's no nothing there to determine that. But maybe if we could incentivize that they, there's additional benefit by using cleaner fuels. So it doesn't cost the user any more money, but by them using the cleaner fuels, we're all benefiting. And I think that's the way we need to go. There is always, unfortunately, you get people who slip through the net. There are some of the older people, there are some people who just don't engage with services at all and may slip through the net, but that happens no matter what we do. But we can look at outreach and charity groups like St. Vincent de Paul and alone going out to make sure that all these individuals are captured and look, looked after. Yeah, because I suppose at the end of the day, you know, we have to make it as easy as possible for make people to make the transition and, you know, the most cost effective as well. One of the reasons I think the coal ban at the time in Dublin worked very well was we were rolling out natural gas. We found gas off Kinsale and that was being actively promoted and it gave people an alternative. So it worked very well. And if people have this alternative to move to something cleaner, that makes it a lot more likely that it'll happen uh, and a lot more likely it'll be successful. But we've arrived at a situation where with so many parts of the country covered by a coal ban and trying to police and enforce that was almost a nightmare, you know, which side of the line are you on? So going with a national ban, you're targeting the supply rather than the end user. So you're not, it's not an offence for people to burn coal or wood or wood they've chopped down, but there won't be wholesale supplies of the stuff available. And if you can target a supplier so that people can only purchase things that are clean or cleaner fuels, that will all help. So the approach of targeting the supply is way better. Um, previous attempts in Northern Ireland where they had clean air uh, under the Clean Air Act where they had zones, but it might be you came out of a corner shop and you turned left and you could use coal, you turned right, you couldn't use your coal. So the supply was there, you went to the corner shop. They weren't asking, do you turn left or do you turn right when you go out the gate? So, but the dirtier coals were cheaper. So if somebody's on poor income, they're going to buy the dirtier fuels. And that's understandable. So the policing there was targeting the end user, not the supply. So we found that this, the approach taken in Ireland by targeting the supply and stopping the supply of the dirty fuels is probably the way forward. Um, but yes, they seem like they cost a bit more than tr traditional fuels. So that's where subsidies and incentives and help may be needed. But as, as I say, go back to it all again, if we can tr transition away, this is our opportunity now and because fuel prices are so dear, it does make it a lot more sensible to try and make the houses more energy efficient. So a dual approach of 
grant aid to upgrade the energy efficiency of the houses and get people to use non-emitting fuels as quickly as possible. That's what I think the way we need to go. Um, I just ask you about the um, the World Health Organization. They published new air quality guidelines last year. Now, Ireland hasn't adopted them yet, and we're still working with EU air quality standards. Uh, have you any thoughts on that? Like, does that need to change? Or? Okay, there is, there is a subtlety here, right? The EU um, are what called are called limit values, which are in theory legally enforceable. So if you breach them we as a country can be fined. However, they don't go far enough for the protection of human health. Uh, as we said earlier, there is no safe level. So we have to try and achieve as low as is possible, right? And that's where the WHO, their guideline figures, they're suggesting to countries, listen, guys, this is what you should be trying to achieve. This is where you should be going. And the previous WHO figures... Ireland had said we would aspire to try and achieve these, which was very good and welcomed. Um, as you say, maybe the more recent revised levels from WHO, they haven't come out and said one way or another. But in all their previous public uh, proclamations, prior to the change in levels, they've said they would aspire to achieving the WHO guidelines uh, for the protection of human health. And that's very welcome because... In the past, they seem to be reluctant to do that, but there's been a seed change and they realise we need to do this for the benefit of society. It'll, we'll save the money on the health costs. We'll save on, if we make the houses energy efficient, we'll save on our energy needs as well. So there's an opportunity here for a joined up roadmap that should be cost effective. We'll end up with better air quality less energy bills, less dependent on imported fuels. It's a win-win for us. Yeah, no, it sounds like there are a lot of win-wins if we if we take this, the opportunities that are there, um, but it, it'll require uh, innovative thinking and some resources as well and a bit of time. True, but I've seen some good initiatives, like there was a lot of dismay, understandably, when they were closing a lot of the board Mona facilities down, but at least there's been a policy to retrain a lot of these staff who would have been highly skilled so that they can work in retrofitting. So there was a pool of people who were contributing on the turf side of things, but now they're going to be able to help us work towards making their houses more energy efficient. So I thought that was a good initiative that was brought in to train that, to retrain or reskill that workforce. And finally, there is a, a, a new Clean Air Act in the offing. Is there anything you'd like to see in that? Going forward, we never know. There, there may be new challenges, new pollutants coming out. So under a Clean Air Act, I'd like to see a little bit more widespread measuring of air quality in that there was large parts of the country that we weren't sure what the air quality was like. We were measuring in the big towns but we weren't measuring in the smaller towns or villages. However, I do accept there's been a huge improvement in that. The network has been extended dramatically. That's good. Um, we maybe need a bit more research from an Irish perspective to know in different locations what's actually causing uh, the pollutants. 
Um, and I think we could, I don't know where the crossover between energy and air quality is, but that's where people are building houses that there's restrictions that they can't either put in chimneys or fireplaces uh, for solid fuel burning. And certainly the, these fuel stoves that people have been installing, um, some of these are of very, very poor quality. Um, in London, the biggest number of complaints about air quality was actually people putting in stoves in sunrooms and extensions and houses and neighbours complaining about all the smoke coming off them. Um, so I think we need to have some legislation there to make sure that if there is anything we put into a house that it's of the highest standard, that there's basically no emissions, but preferably that we move away from these completely and that we just become dependent on renewable energy. So that means solar and wind power, and that means our systems powered by electric basically. Then the other challenges are the transport systems. And again, electric is way cheaper, cleaner, longer lasting. So you know, we, we know it works, so let's go and do it. Okay, I think we could keep chatting for a long time to come, but I, and there's a lot to cover in this subject, but I hope we can come back to it another time and, and maybe have you back again, um, Pat. So for listeners who are interested in climate change and health and how they are related, uh, you might be interested in an upcoming Healthy Planet, Healthy People conference on November 30th. It's online and free to attend. And you'll find more information about this one day event on the Institute of Public Health's website at www.publichealth.ie. Um, again, thanks a million, Pat, for all your insights. And I hope we can have you back another time. So that's it for this episode of Public Health Matters. Thank you for tuning in and please do send us your questions or thoughts. You can email us at communications at publichealth.ie. And if you want to keep up to date with the Institute, you can sign up to our newsletter on publichealth.ie or follow us on Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening and take care.